the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There is nothing that will destroy the unity of a church more than people who promote themselves. Nothing. Insecure people who seek to advance themselves and their causes above others. The subtlety of this sin in the local church is that it can appear so pious, so spiritual, all in the name of of ministry. It appears so holy. You see, selfish ambition often manifests itself in a church when I consider my ministry more important than your ministry. Not only should we not promote our own ministry as more important, we ought to encourage those who feel that what they do is insignificant. I first saw that truth in action many years ago when the Awana commander at our church had a chat with the boy who set up the chairs for the meeting. The boy felt like he should be doing something more important. Dave simply asked the boy how they could hold the meeting and keep order if there were no chairs. Once Dave explained to the boy that even though no one saw what he was doing, what he did was just as important to a successful meeting as what Dave did. Not only did that cheer up the young fellow, but from then on he made sure that the chairs were set up in laser straight rows. Every ministry in the church will be more effective when those involved are united with the rest of the church and see their part of the overall ministry in its proper perspective. Welcome to Verse by Verse with pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside and has been serving there since 1981. His practical, expository, or verse-by-verse messages come to your radio through this fine station and the Verse by Verse Ministries production team. Pastor Steve is guiding us through the second chapter of Philippians. The Philippian church was a great church, and there was a warm relationship between them and the Apostle Paul. Yet Paul saw that there was some discord in that church. Paul saw the danger and was concerned because he knew where they were headed if they allowed the problem to continue. It is okay to disagree, as long as we agree to disagree agreeably. If you're following in your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Here is Pastor Steve with our lesson. Now let's move on to, and this is, this is new ground that we're covering, another mark of, of unity. He writes in verse 2, not only being of the same mind, but maintaining the same love. A church that is unified for Christ's sake is a church that's marked by people loving one another. Now what does that mean? It is not sentimentality. It is not just an emotional feeling. But love is basic, basically boils down to a sacrificing for others, sacrificial ministry towards others. It's, it's to say, if you have a need and I can meet it, I want to meet it. I'm laying down my life for the brethren. It's a commitment to meet the needs of others. And let's look at that in John. Let's go back to John 13. John 13 gives us some insight into what love is all about, and what Christ expects of us. 
Love is not just a word that we toss around, but love is a reality. Love is practical. Love is a verb. Love is doing for others. It's not just singing about it. It's not just coming up with poetry, but it's actually doing something. In John 13, 34, Jesus is on the verge of leaving, and he's telling his disciples how they ought to live while he's gone. And he says in verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another. Now, how did he love them? He sacrificed for them. He was on the verge of laying down his life for them. And what he's saying is he's, he's calling us to live that way, to live by sacrificing for others. If you'll turn over just two chapters to John 15, verse 13, we, we're given more insight on how to do this. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. That is love, laying down your life. It might not be dying for someone. It may just be living for them. In fact, living for them in many respects is easier than dying for someone. A loving church is a church that puts the needs of others before self-needs. It's a church that, that says you are important. I put your needs First, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. That is known as the love chapter. It's really a chapter dealing primarily with spiritual gifts, but uh, love is included in this. Love is the priority, and the use of gifts need, needs to be handled with love. But he, but he writes in chapter 13, verse 4, he tells us how he defines perfect love. Love is patience. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. Why doesn't, why isn't love jealous? Because uh, love doesn't say, you have what I want. Love says, I'm delighted that you got that promotion to the major leagues. I'm delighted that you got that salary raised. I'm delighted that your needs are being met. Love does not, does not brag, he says. Why? Because to brag, you have to say, I'm better than you. You know, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. I'm, I did this. I'm better than you. It's not arrogant. Love doesn't look down upon other people. Verse 5, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It doesn't, it doesn't say, uh, my agenda is the only thing that counts. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. You see, it's not, it's not easily offended, he's saying. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. If you're involved in unrighteousness, uh, my job is not to come along and say, aha, we caught you. My job is to, is to weep, and your job is too when someone is found to be in unrighteousness. But rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love puts up with everything in anything. And so that's when you come back to, to Philippians chapter 2, and, and when Paul says maintaining the same love, you realize that that is so important. The thing that disrupts unity is self-centeredness. It's self-centeredness. It's saying that my needs have to be met and my needs are more important than your needs. You see, then you have everybody climbing over everybody else to have their needs met and there's chaos. There's no harmony. And let me put it on a different level. My ministry is more important than your ministry. What I do in the church is more significant than what you do in the church. And we're going to speak more about that in a few moments. But when you get that together, then you have got a lot of problems in a church. But love says, my desire is to meet your needs, not just ministry needs uh, in the sense of programs, but individual needs. You know, we have a lot of new folks in the church, a lot of new people, and that means a lot of needs. 
a lot of needs. I'm always amused when people say, well, I want to go to a smaller, a small church where, where they need me to meet needs. Listen, there's no place that needs you more than a place that's growing. You want to, you want to find needs? They're right here. They're right here where there are people, there are needs. And love doesn't wait to meet other people's needs. You see, the, the concern that I have is there's so many new folks that people are going to sit back who are new and wait for others to meet their needs. May I urge you? and encourage you, don't wait for anybody to meet your needs. Even if this is the second, third, fourth week that you're at Lakeside, you've got to be committed to meeting other people's needs. If you wait for them to meet your needs, you're going to be waiting a long time. Because it just doesn't work that way. Because if you have a lot of new people, then everybody's waiting, and you're going to be waiting a long time. And then you may just say, well, I'm not going to wait anymore. I'll go to some smaller place where they will notice me. Love, maintaining the same love, says, I'm not going to wait for anybody to meet my needs. I'm going to meet their needs. I'm going to invite them over to my home. I'm going to reach out to them. You know, when Michelle and I moved here back in 1975, we graduated from Moody Bible Institute. We moved here. I knew the pastors then. Uh, This was my home church, by the way, for those of you who didn't know that. I came to know Christ as a freshman at the University of South Florida. I began attending church here a few months later. This became my home church. And uh, then I went off to Bible college, came back here for an internship, and uh, because I knew the pastors, they allowed me to speak on some Sunday evenings, and I knew a lot of the people, and it just seemed to me that everybody concluded that since I was in the public eye, that everyone was inviting us out and, and reaching out to us. We had just been married a few weeks, and I want you to know we were so lonely that we wanted to cry after Sunday night service, when everybody would go their way and no one would invite us out. They just assumed that we were doing things with other people, and we had no family here. We we basically had no friends. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to feel that way. And I remember one Sunday night saying to Michelle, we both agreed, listen, we're not going to wait any longer for others to reach out to us. We're committed to reaching out to others. And we began to do that. We invited a couple over, and before you knew it, they invited us, and another couple invited us, and we were involved with friends, and we were, we really felt a part of this church. You see, that's how you, you have to have that attitude, or else you're going to be waiting a long time. Maintaining the, the same love says that I will do what God calls me to do regardless of what others do or don't do. It's as simple as that. He goes on to give another mark in verse 2, not only maintaining the same love and being of the same mind, but united in spirit. Literally, in the Greek language, this means one in soul. In fact, I believe this is the only time it's mentioned in the Greek New Testament. And Paul's referring to hearts beating together in unison. In other words, a unified church has the same desire, the same passion. They're going in the same direction. I guess that's the best way to put it. They're going in the same direction. And that's why the end of verse 2 tells us that direction. Intent on one purpose. They're united in spirit, but they're intent on one purpose. When our hearts are knit together with the one purpose of giving God glory, then the church will be marked by unity. That's the one purpose. That's the purpose that uh, that marks us, that needs to mark us. You see, it's when someone comes along with a different set of goals, a different agenda, a different purpose, a different ambition, then the church has chaos. The church has no direction. Then everybody has their own thing, and they're doing their own thing, and there's conflicts and discord arises. But when you've got the same direction that you're going in, you want God to get glory, to give him glory, then you've got everybody on the same team. 
Let's pause in our study of Philippians chapter 2 to say hello to those of you who just tuned in. We're glad to have you with us. This is Verse by Verse, and our instructor is Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Hi, this is Steve Kreloff from Verse by Verse Radio. I want to thank you for listening to these broadcasts. We appreciate your faithful support of this ministry. And I, and I want you to know that um, recently I've written a book about romance and marriage. It's called The Pleasures of Marriage. It's a verse-by-verse exposition of the Song of Solomon. I think it'll help your marriage. I think it'll strengthen marriages. I think it will uh, also help those who are singles, who are preparing to get married or hope someday to get married. This book is available on Amazon.com, and once again, it's called The Pleasures of Marriage. As a faithful listener to these broadcasts, I feel you should know that Verse by Verse needs your financial support, and we appreciate your financial support. It's costly to prepare these programs, and we can only continue to do so if our listeners support this ministry. So I would ask you to please consider giving a gift as a way of saying thank you to the Lord for providing this program to help you in your Christian walk. All gifts to Verse by Verse are tax-deductible. You can give via PayPal on our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Or you can send your gift to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Seven five eight. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you and strengthen you as you listen to him speak, verse by verse. It can be hard sometimes for a tug-of-war team to get into a united rhythm. It's something that takes some submission to an overall plan. How do we do something like that in our churches? Let's get back to class and see what the Bible has to say about it. So, We've seen the motives are the ifs of certainty, if these things are true, and they are. The marks are the oneness of, of mind and, and spirit and, and soul and intent and purpose and love. But how do you actually do this? I mean, let's ask a very practical question. How does this unity actually happen? This is what it ought to be, but how do we get it there and how do we maintain it? What do we have to do for us to be in harmony with one another? Now, this is very practical, and I almost feel like I don't even need to explain it. There are certain things in Scripture as a Bible teacher you come to and you say, do I need to explain this? But I'm going to. Verse 3. These are, by the way, this is the method for achieving unity. This is the method or the means. This is how it happens. This is where it gets on our level. This is the responsibility you and I have. And everyone here has this responsibility. Verse 3. He begins by saying this. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. The word that is translated selfishness means more than just self-centered. It really means selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. It has an interesting history, and I want to tell you the history so you get a feel for this word. It originally meant a day laborer, one who, who worked for pay, someone who worked for pay, and in order to benefit himself or herself. From there, the word came to mean a person who is out to advance themselves, not just someone who's working, but someone who's working kind of a, a, a career-oriented person who selfishly wants to move up the ladder of success and doesn't care who they step on as they move up that ladder. It's, it's a person who's had to advance himself, selfishly ambitious, someone who doesn't care what he does to advance himself. Aristotle used this word, 
understanding from the Greek language, used this word to speak of a self-seeking politician, one who was seeking office, one who, who was seeking office at any price. Unfair means whatever. It didn't matter. He was a politician and he was going to get elected. In the context of Philippians 2, it probably refers to factions and, and a party spirit, one group in the church which promotes and its aims and goals above another group, and, and my, my goal is better than your goal, and that type of thing. The illustration of this is found in Philippians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, because it's the same word that's used. Look at this. He's speaking of, of teachers, preachers who were witnessing out of the wrong motives. He says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, that's that word, rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What he's saying is here, there are some people in, in the church at Rome, there were some people who were self-promoters. There were some people who said, aha, Paul is getting all the attention and all the glory and everybody in Rome is talking about him and they've forgotten us. So now that Paul's stuck in prison, we're going to go out and win some people to the Lord and they'll look at us as the big shots. Paul said, that doesn't bother me. But, but that does illustrate self-promotion, concern with regaining their popularity over Paul. Now, there is nothing that will destroy the unity of a church more than people who promote themselves. Nothing. Insecure people who seek to advance themselves and their causes above others. Now, the subtlety of this, and you need to be warned of this, the subtlety of this sin in the local church is that it can appear so pious so spiritual, all in the name of, of ministry. It appears so holy. It's in the name of ministry. You see, selfish ambition often manifests itself in a church when I consider my ministry more important than your ministry. You consider what you do in the church more significant and, and more important than someone else's ministry. In fact, not only is my ministry more important than yours, my ministry is the most important ministry. And you get a lot of people saying that, or just a few people saying that, and you've got real problems. What I do is more important than what you do. And this can happen. I've seen it. I've seen it in our church. I've seen it in other churches where people get in their groups and they have tunnel vision. They see nothing else. If you work at the school, you're involved in our missions ministry, you're involved in music, you're involved in the cassette tapes, you're involved in, in the correspondence school, you're involved in the parenting class, you're involved in Christian education. Regardless of what it is, it is easy to selfishly promote that ministry. I say selfishly promote it. Why? Because if that ministry looks good, then you look good. Especially if you're the head of that ministry. What happens is a rivalry is created, a competition between between ministries. What I think is important is the only thing that really matters. What I'm involved in is it. This is the only thing that counts. And you begin to feel like nobody else is interested in that ministry and uh, nobody knows what I'm doing. And what's usually behind it, in fact, what's always behind that attitude is the ministry, if it looks good, then I look good. If it doesn't look good, then I don't look good. And that's why Paul adds to this term selfish ambition. Notice in verse 3, do nothing from selfishness, let's call it selfish ambition, or empty conceit. It means vain glory, empty praise. In other words, I want the praise that comes from my cause and my ministry looking good. See, it all goes together. I'm selfishly ambitious so that my cause, my ministry looks better than others, why? Because I want the praise of men that comes from that. 
Let me tell you, I've been there. I've been there. When I first came on staff at Lakeside years ago, 1976, I, uh, I was minister of evangelism. And I fell into that trap. Nothing else mattered to me. Nothing else mattered to me. When I took over the ministry, there were, I think, three people. And basically, the attitude at that point was, if, uh, if you don't sustain this and don't build it up, you probably don't have a job. That was what I did. And so I poured everything into that. Nothing else mattered to me. And I began to have that tunnel vision. I began to have that attitude that not only was my ministry the most important ministry, but every ministry ought to exist to serve my ministry. I fell into that. I had my own personal agenda. I saw that every ministry was secondary to mine. Everything had to serve me and my ministry. Why? Because I had something to prove. I was just out of Bible college. I didn't want to, I didn't want to fail. I wanted to succeed. I wanted the, the praise of men. And I treated people that way. In fact, I had a dear friend who came to me and said, uh, people are saying that you will only be their friends if you get in this ministry. You know, that's absolutely correct. That was my attitude. And thank God that, that someone came to me and, and, and challenged me and rebuked me like that. And thank God I came to my senses by the Spirit of God. You see, this is the type of attitude, if it's not dealt with, will destroy a church. It'll destroy a church. And it seems so spiritual. What can be more important than evangelism, I said? What can be more important than getting the gospel out? Can't everybody see this? You see, it'll divide the church into little interest groups with self-centered, ambitious people promoting their own interest in the name of ministry. And what really looks spiritual is nothing more than the flesh at work. You know, those who Paul said were witnessing out of wrong motives, they look good. They look good. They were witnessing. They were sharing the truth from all appearances. These were godly people witnessing for Christ, but in reality they were glory grabbers. Interested only in the praise of men. And there are a lot of people in local churches, evangelical local churches, who are glory grabbers. They use pious terminology. They speak about it so it's not so obvious. But you listen to them after a while and it becomes obvious. They exalt self. How? They tell you who they know, where they've been, what they've done. They tell you everything they've done in the past. And then they might add, you know, well, you know, praise God. And that all sounds so pious. It's not. It's really not. They're glory grabbers. I have learned over the years that if a man's ministry is going to be blessed of God, he needs to be careful. I might add if a woman's ministry too. He needs to be careful that he doesn't have anything, he or she does not have anything to prove. You put people involved in ministry who have something to prove because of insecurities, you're going to be in deep trouble. Because they will always want to outshine the next person. You see, they're not free to be themselves. They're, they're, they're trying to promote themselves by impressing others with their success. And it just creates an environment of rivalry and competition. You cannot have that in a church. You especially cannot have that in sta with staff. Promoting others rather than ourselves is not the way people like to do things today. And it was not at all a popular concept in the time of Paul. Our time is running out, so let me wrap up our program for today. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside for more than 27 years. 
This program is produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the gifts and prayers of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to hear today's lesson again, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or download it for later. The same is true for the previous broadcasts that we make available on the archives page. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was the middle of a three-part message. You can hear the entire message on CD or cassette if you would like to order one. Just call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Offensive linemen are the unsung heroes on a football team. When a great block springs a running back for a 70-yard touchdown, you will almost never hear the stadium announcer giving credit to the player who made that touchdown possible. We need to spend more time practicing humility and promoting each other rather than ourselves. Imagine how energized we would be if all that was the usual practice, especially in the church. On the next Verse by Verse, we will consider how serving others promotes unity. I'm Peter Silsap. See you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.